0: Let's talk about something uh, as the province has begun to slowly open. As of Friday, only Toronto, Peel, and Windsor will not be in stage three. And Mayor John Tory was on 640 Toronto's morning show with John Oakley, who's filling in for Stafford and Sapria this morning. And he seemed hopeful that Toronto would join soon enough. And I was reading an opinion piece in the National Post by Christine Van Gein, who questions... If the Ontario government is now on, in the, the point of view that the province is no longer in a state of uh, emergency, why are the orders that were issued under the emergency continuing under Bill 195? She joins the Kelly Cotrera show. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate your time because this Bill 195, a lot of people are, you know, they may have heard about it in passing, but they're not focused on it. It's the reopening Ontario, a flexible approach to COVID-19 Act 2020. It was introduced in Queen's 7th. Now, before we get into why you see it as an attack on our rights, can you maybe provide some insight into what the Ford government's justification is for the bill and then outline why you think the average Ontario should be concerned?
1: Yeah, so what the bill does, the Reopening Ontario Act, is it declares the state of emergency over but at the same time, it extends some of the emergency orders. And some of those emergency orders um, can even be amended. So it extends the onerous restrictions on the size of gatherings. It can keep businesses closed. And it can override collective agreements. So, um, you know, collective agreements for unionized workers. Um, and it's specifically for the redeployment of workers in especially the healthcare sector. So I do understand why... The government wants to extend these powers it's pretty convenient to have extraordinary powers um but the political consequences are i mean what they're doing is overriding our rights in in having extending these powers when the state of emergency over is over the justification for limiting our rights is also over and what the government wants to do is have these powers in the event that there's a second wave I, I do understand that, but when it comes to our fundamental rights, political perception shouldn't be a factor. And what the government wants to do is avoid redeclaring a new state of emergency in the in the in the event of a second wave, because there's political consequences to that that they don't want to bear. Um, but but you know, the political consequences that is are the not political
0: consequences now. people not being happy with with this government yeah, in power.
1: Well. Well, it's not just that. It's a perception issue, right? It makes the Mm -hmm. government look like they're out of control if there's a second state of emergency declared again in November if there's a second wave. Um, I think people are smart enough to understand that the government is doing its best to control the virus and that a second wave is is probably likely. If there's a rationale for a second state of emergency... The government shouldn't just have this convenient card in their back pocket to continue to override our rights in the event of a hypothetical situation. Um, They should redeclare a state of emergency and bear those political consequences, not just have this convenient um, override of our rights when it's no longer justified under their own legislation, their own state of emergency legislation
0: what i found interesting about your column is that the the irony is that the state of emergency being declared actually facilitated the legislation to be created in the first place and the bill removes you know that they created via this state of emergency being called actually uh essentially um allows em- that any changes they make to to be extended for a longer period of time now i'm probably butchering it and not saying it in the most eloquent eloquent way but can you maybe elaborate on exactly how the emergency declaration facilitated this legislation and and what now the government is allowed to do if it passes
1: So a state of emergency is declared under a piece of legislation called the emergency is called the Civil Emergencies Act or something like that. Let me find the actual, the EMCPA. So it's declared under that piece of legislation. And there's a statutory definition for what a emergency is and it's a pretty high threshold Um, under the emergency measures and civil protection act the government needs to see a danger of major proportions that could result in serious harm to persons and substantial damage to property and that the government's normally available resources including legislation are not reliable or maybe insufficient so that is when, when that condition is met, the government can declare a state of emergency and then they have a number of extraordinary powers under that piece of legislation. But in our view, once the state of emergency ends, so too does the justification for limiting our most fundamental rights. And a number of the orders that were issued under the Uh, emergency legislation include um, orders that allow for sharing of personal health information. So the police have access to certain pieces of personal health information of individuals um, who have have the virus. Um, The orders also impose restrictions on the size of gatherings. They keep businesses closed. And for a lot of unionized workplaces, they override collective agreements. And that includes, for some workplaces, the grievance procedures in those workplaces. Um, it allows the government to redeploy workers in ways that their bargaining had not made uh, made concessions for. These are all really important rights. And in a state of emergency, in the midst of a pandemic, you know, the charter analysis might say, those limits to our rights are justified. We're in the middle of a pandemic. But the government can't have its cake and eat it too. They can't say... The emergency is over, but we still need all these powers. There's no justification for continuing to limit our rights in that situation.
0: And and under Bill 195, which is the legislation that we're talking about here, certain orders can be amended even though the emergency is over and orders can be extended for the 30-day periods rather than every two weeks where we keep seeing Ford going, I hope it's the last time, but we're extending the the period of, of the state of emergency. So now if this legislation passes... You know orders can be extended for even longer, which which gives the government more power, and also, you point out they don't need to, to be debated their decisions,
1: yeah, and the orders can actually be extended for up to two years. so wow. this is this is a really huge grant of power to the government when they don't necessarily need it. If we enter another wave, the government should redeclare a state of emergency. It's just that they don't want to bear those consequences politically. Um, but, yeah, the accountability measures that you had mentioned under a state of emergency, there are a whole lot of accountability measures. The orders only exist for 14 days. Under the new legislation, it's 30 days. Um, under the uh, state of emergency legislation, the government needs to issue a report that's then debated in the legislature mm-hmm. at Queen's Park. In the new legislation, they do not have to debate that report, which is really an important piece of political accountability.
0: Okay, so what, what are the odds of this legislation even passing? I mean, isn't it doomed? The other parties, are they going to go for it?
1: There have been comments from the NDP and the leader of the Green Party saying that the accountability measures in particular are problematic um, under this legislation. But I think the biggest threat to this particular, I think the bill will pass. Uh, they may amend some of the accountability measures, but even then, I think that's unlikely. The biggest threat is once this becomes law. I think that union organizations are going to challenge this this once it's legislation.
0: And which is interesting already... because Ford announced that he would be going after unions re- when he was running. He was campaigning on that.
1: Uh, yeah, so he, I mean, unions aren't the only ones who are facing the consequences of this. I mean, right? It's our civil liberties as well. It's our right to. Um, assembly and movement are also implicated, and potentially uh, religious freedoms for religious gatherings are also limited. But mm. there is already a union organization that's contemplated publicly challenging this. There was an article in the Globe and Mail last week about the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions. Um, they are, which is a division of the Ontario Union of Public Employees. They are writing, doing a letter-writing campaign right now to MPPs. And I believe they have retained counsel and may be challenging the legislation once it's passed.
0: Well, we'll have to wait and see. The story doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. Thank you so much, Christine, for sharing uh, your opinion on this. And if you want to read uh, the opinion piece, it's a good one. It's in the National Post. You do a great job of illustrating what is at risk with this new Bill 195. Thanks so much for joining us. My
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Have a great day.